0: Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about revival. What is it? What is it not? And how do we live through times of revival and beyond revival moments? Today, however, we're gonna making a, a shift in the conversation and talking about what it's like to lead through revival. There's a lot of conversations about how things are handled, but what does it look like when you're on the ground amid a revival season? How do leaders lead their congregation through it? And how do congregations live past a revival season? Kind of bring up an interesting point about revival. We've hit it several times about the leading through the revival, leading uh congregation, leading people. You two have had the opportunity to lead churches and groups through various moves of God over the years. One of which uh, was in Texas. I was wondering if you could share that story about about that move that happened with teenagers specifically.
1: Yeah, that one was teenagers, sweetie. Why don't you just kind of give your initial thoughts just on kind of what that was? What. Why do you think that that started? What do you think it was?
2: Um, I think the kids just came to a point that they needed God Mm. in a way that, you know, that their parents had never even showed them or, you know, expressed. And they just, they went after it. You know, they, I remember one particular youth service and we had this wooden cross, just, (laughs) just this, two-by-four wooden cross, stuck up there on the stage. And it was just a normal, you would think it was just a normal youth service. And after the service, this one kid, he was like, let's, let's take this cross. And we lived, or the church was just right outside the city limits. So if you went down the main street and you just kept on going down that street, you would go right, right through the center of town, down, right down Main Street, past the post office, the whole nine yards, and that's where they took it. They decided they were going to take it, and then they hung a hung a left and went to the high, to the junior high school, right, and they put it in the yard of the junior high school. And it was just that they wanted to express that they needed more, and they believed in Jesus. Yeah.
1: And it was, you know, it was in the middle of Nowheresville, Texas. Again, not a lot to do for teenagers. Right. We were doing a, we were doing a radio show right. on the local AM station. Yeah, we were doing that, and it had become a big deal, man. Right. We were doing like a three-hour three hour Christian music show on a Friday night, man. Yeah. And we were second <laughs> to, the, um, the, to, trading. The, to trading the trading post. Yeah. The trading post. We were only second. Our show was only second to the trading post. Well, the trading post was a whole regional thing. So we were bumping them. We thought that was pretty awesome. <laughs> and we were playing, like, like we were playing, back in those days, we were playing, like, Audio Adrenaline. We were playing, like, PFR. We were playing all this stuff that kids didn't think, you know, Christian music was cool or right. whatever. But we were just going after it. And then in between, I would say, hey, if you're at Sonic right now, go to the Sonic Manager, and we're going to bring you a free CD or whatever it was. But there was a lot. We were doing a lot. Mm-hmm. But doing a lot is not necessarily going after God.
0: Right. Mm-hmm.
1: You can be doing a lot, you think, for God, right. but not pursuing him. Right. And I think in that moment, one kid in particular, Jimmy, when he gave his life to Jesus, the other kids who knew him and knew his life couldn't believe it. Yeah. Right. They wigged out. And when he said, let's carry this cross, they were all in. And what Tanya didn't say is that Main Street was one thing, but when you came out of the city toward the church, it became a four-lane highway, yeah. two and two with a center turn lane. Wow. They were in the center turn lane with the cross, carrying it above their head, marching into downtown, went to Subway first right. and were ministering to Subway employees who were standing outside smoking a smoke break. Wow. Then a police officer pulled up. He knew Jimmy. That's why he pulled up. He thought they were doing <laughs> something bad. And so they start ministering to him and start preaching the gospel to him. Right. And then they went to the high school and they prayed at the football field. Then they went to the junior high and staked it in the front yard of the, yeah. of the junior high. It's like, and, and, and it was just unbelievable what God did in that and all of that, where they would begin to go in the morning, not at sea at the pole, but every morning and begin to pray over their school to the point of just God moving and me having to escort kids to their first hour class because god was moving i want to and talk then about a whole lot of yeah. other stuff
0: i want to talk about that because that was interesting because uh, i believe the story is that you just got a phone call one morning and they're like hey are you scott etheridge we have your kids here in the fo- <laughs> out in the yard and you're like let's see at the pole and then you had to go out there as their leader and yeah. help them what was that like go 1st off in that phone call coming to a school to and then realizing these are kids experiencing god how do you because the, the preacher in like, let's go, yeah, but yeah. you have to also be responsible.
1: That's right. That's a great point, Dallas, is that my first thought wasn't, oh, we're just going to do whatever. It's like, okay, that's on the school property. I don't really have any authority there. Right. What am I going to do with this, Lord? Mm-hmm. Okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure the kids are okay, mm-hmm. and then whatever the administration, however they tell me to navigate that to get the kids where they need to go, we're going to do that. Right. And so whether it was actually carrying some kids <laughs> to class or, or walking some kids to class, whatever it was, mm-hmm. we, just, we just did it. Right. And then uh, all the way until a junior high dance, you know, mm-hmm. and things happening there and having to be a part of that. But one thing that taught me was knowing my authority. Mm. And I think that's one thing that stuck to me to this very day. You've heard me say this a lot. Hey, we go to a school in our area. We're not going to go in there and tell them what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. We're going to ask them how we can serve.
0: Right. And we're going to
1: serve in a way that, in which we can that doesn't compromise mm-hmm. our beliefs and our values. But we're going to serve, and we're not going to dictate how it goes because we, we have authority in Christ mm-hmm. to walk in that authority. But we don't have authority to tell them what we're going to do when we right. walk on campus. And that's one thing I really learned was discernment of the Holy Spirit, knowing our lane as believers but yet still being able to function and minister in that yeah
0: so good so um kind of on that thought process again we've talked about kind of revivals that were very they're in the school or they're in the church rather and these are church kids but you guys have experienced moves of god and you and i've talked about this before about uh and you kind of brought something in our first conversation about sometimes revivals not just in a church setting but it's a person's life certain things happening and uh you and i were talking about a an event there was a tornado or something like that that took out the town and you and your church had to step in to help lead. And this was kind of a revival moment for people in that town. How do you do that? Because again, you're you're dealing with, you know, FEMA, you're dealing with all kinds of stuff, you're having to handle your normal life. How do you lead through that situation?
2: Even our normal life, that tor- that particular tornado went through our right up our street. So We We, we were be evacuated. Oh. We were evacuated. We were
1: evacuated by the National Guard. No kidding.
2: Yeah. And Liz was little; she was a baby, so yeah, it was it was it was very very fun. <laughs> yeah, and it was
1: so wild because I was an associate pastor, you know, which basically is like you do whatever. Matt knows all about that.
2: <laughs> but was a uh, jack of
1: all. But trades. yeah, it was like, it was like, and we were in the middle of a building program mm-hmm. at the church, which was the building program. Uh, the the work detail consisted of the pastor and myself. Um, <laughs> I can remember taking scaffolding down that that, that aisle Incline. of that and, and hoping it didn't get away from me and building it up as we went, as I was painting myself, was painting the ceiling. I can remember all that. And then that tornado <laughs> came through, ripped to shreds the area that we lived in. Mm-hmm. Yep. National Guard pulled us out of there. Our home is messed up. And then we get a call from NBC saying, can you guys be the staging area for drop-off location? For the whole community. Now, this isn't a community. This is a city, Little Rock, Arkansas. Yeah, right. yeah. So this we're not just talking like a about yeah, town. yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. just a little town. This is a whole, this is a big deal. Right. And it had ravaged our whole
2: area. It had ripped communities completely. Like, I mean, there was nothing left of one mobile home park. Like there was there was nothing. Mm-hmm. There was no trees. There was no mobile homes. Well, it was the there was no one cars. That, there that was nothing. Pretty much
1: ravaged Arkadelphia. Uh, Arkansas. Mm -hmm. I mean, very little left. And so we're in the middle of all this and my pastor goes, Hey, we're having a community service on Wednesday night. You're preaching it. And I was like, what? I'm trying to put my house back together. I'm trying to, man, we were, we were driving food everywhere. We were going out to the, to the areas that even the national guard couldn't get to. We were Mm -hmm. taking stuff out there and I was kind of the crux of all the logistical stuff on our campus. So I was having to deal with all that. And my pastor was a pastor, but he was a mortician, and people had died. And so he's, he's embalming people and having funerals. Right. And I'm dealing with FEMA and all this stuff. And then he's going, you're going to preach to a bunch of strangers. And we had a packed house on a Wednesday night, man. And that Tuesday night, I was just like, man, Lord, what am I going to do? I'm just this young guy that just passionate for Jesus Mm.
2: really young (laughs) man. I had not
1: been saved very long. Like what am I going to do? And I remember I fell asleep on the couch and I woke up and you know, sometimes you wake up and you, you, you don't think it's real life. You think it's a dream. Right. So I woke up, but I thought I was in a dream and nightline with Ted Koppel. Many of you won't even know what that is, (laughs) but nightline, nightline with Ted Koppel was on and I opened my eyes and I'm laying on the couch and I see Bill Clinton Mm who was president at the time, get up, and he he begins to quote Isaiah chapter 58, and he begins to talk about the restorer of the broken places and the repair of the breach. Mm. And the Lord was like, that's what you're going to speak on. And so I kind of, and then I realized I was actually awake. Mm. I was actually seeing all this. So the Lord used that president, who was in the middle of a a moral failure, and we were embroiled in crazy stuff in America. And God used him, though, and that Wednesday night I brought that scripture. And, man, people, were, people who did not know Jesus were laying before the Lord and crying out and praying and seeking God. Yeah. And they weren't just seeking a meal or clothes. They needed those things, but, right. man, they were seeking God. It was, a, it was a restoration and a healing for our city. To me, I think that was revival. Yeah, I would say that's revival. I would say that's an awakening. You know, Matt said it best here many weeks ago. He was like he was in the altar area and just kind of praying. And he was like, Lord, revival, revival, you know. And what does revival look like? Kind of that whole thing. And the Lord was just pointing people out to him and going, revival looks like that for them. Yeah. Revival looks like that for them. And he actually wrote it on the whiteboard when we do our debrief. Yeah. What is revival? Well, it might be this for that person mm-hmm. but it might be this for that person yeah. it might be something for you mm-hmm. because of where you are in life or what you've been seeking god for or praying for mm-hmm. but it may be something different for me yeah but ultimately the marks are going to be biblical mm. the fruit's going to be biblical right it's all going to line up with the word of god as far as the fruit and what comes out of that
0: so good well let me ask you guys, uh, this what steps do you guys take as leaders to prepare the people you lead for revival, and how to live beyond revival culture. How do you guys prepare that you're, not just like, you guys live church, but you have people in your lives you're also responsible for, uh, not just your children, but you have friendships. You have people that you speak life to on a regular basis. How do you prepare people for revival and to live beyond revival culture?
2: I think it's number one is relationship. You got to be in relationship with people. You know, even back when we were, that one particular church in Texas, you know, we would have, we would call them Munch Fest. So every Sunday, not every Sunday, one Sunday a month, they would come to our house after church, and we would just be together. We'd eat, of course, we would play cards or whatever, but it's relationship. And I think that even for re- revival now, to to sustain it, to grow in it, to... To walk in it is relationship. We have to have a relationship with each other. Right. Good.
1: I think in preparing people, I don't think you can prepare people for revival. Mm-hmm. I think you prepare them in just leading them in the things of the Lord. Mm. Right. Uh, discipleship, teaching, preaching, prayer. Uh, the four first things we talk about from Acts chapter 2. Right. Right. Teaching, the doctrine, you know, fellowship. Tanya said it, fellowship. Uh, prayer. Prayer. Um, and the breaking of bread, like those things, you know, in those things, the, the disciplines, Mm. and I know people in the woo woo world don't (laughs) love that, (laughs) don't like that word disciplines, right? Because it's always this shock and awe, angelic, da, 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 but the disciplines of the kingdom of God, there are disciplines in the kingdom of God. Yeah. There are things that the lord himself laid out not just for his disciples but for us to walk in and to walk out Mm. and so i think that just like here i give an you know the example here is man we're sometimes it feels like we're trying to catch our own tail sometimes Mm. we're trying to catch up to what god is doing sometimes right because god does something and we're like whoa okay we didn't see that coming Mm -hmm. i don't think it's trying to catch up with ourselves i just think it's that being prepared in your spirit. There's no way that Asbury was ready for what happened. No way. no way. But they have stewarded it. They have walked people through it. Why? Because of the disciplines that they already had laid down right. from the beginning. Yeah. They had disciplines. They had the foundations of the faith already in place mm. so that when this took place, the order of all of it didn't throw anybody off. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's the way God had already structured it for them. So, I I don't think I don't even think you you can prepare yourself for when it happens. Yeah. You just live for the Lord. You stay hungry. You hunger for the Word of God. Mm-hmm. You hunger and thirst for righteousness. You live for Jesus. You do the disciplines of faith. You stay uh, keep your feet firmly rooted on the foundation which is Christ Jesus, mm-hmm. and and in that. When God does do something like that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you may not be ready for it. This is kind of good. You may not be ready for it, but you're prepared for it.
0: Yeah,
1: I think maybe that, that we're thinking, okay, I've got to prepare. Hey, police, you guys be ready, because just in case 10,000 people show yeah. up at our, we need yeah. to prepare for this. Yeah. No, 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 no. But the relationship between the police department and Asbury... They were ready, right? Mm -hmm. They were ready because of that relationship, which goes back to what Tanya said. Right. That now God is doing this miraculous thing. Mm
0: -hmm. I think the mistake people have is like they like they prepare for revival and the fact that they go, Okay, we're gonna have, you know, extra seats here, we're gonna have this stuff here and everything. And they're looking to react to revival so often instead of respond to revival. You know, we have we have a we have a readiness team here at the church that they are ready to respond when whatever happens right. they're not looking for anything to happen but they're like if it happens it happens we're ready for it right and we can be ready to respond to god's movement mm-hmm. in a biblical fashion if we're in those those spiritual disciplines we're reading our bible we're in prayer we're doing those things then when god makes something happen when holy spirit breaks out and his people are following responding in a biblical way they're ready to respond and move forward and keep doing what they're going to do so, here in a second, I'm going to ask you guys to give us your final thoughts on revival and everything. I want to invite you guys if you're um to respond to back to us. Reach out to us media hub at thbstreetport.com, social media, look for midweek move and let us know how God's moving in your life, how he's challenged you through this conversation. But for you guys, what are your final thoughts? Your final takeaway on this conversation about revival?
2: I think revival um is something that is should be a part of your life. Mm. I think, you know, after you experience a move of God and like you, you go to some place like Asbury, I think that, yes, it should change you, but it should challenge you to be better, to do more, to, to be better for Jesus Mm -hmm. and, you know. You don't stop the things that you're doing so you can restart. You know, if you've been reading your word, it's not like you stop reading your word. you got to continue those things that you know that is right. Mm. You continue doing those things. You continue seeking God. You continue reading your word. You continue your fellowship. You continue breaking your bread. You continue those things. And God will just add on to all of that. And it just, it'll just get gooder and gooder.
0: Like it.
1: English teachers just went crazy. <laughs> They'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
1: I think I'll I'll go to the scriptures and in Acts chapter nine and 10 mm-hmm. we see uh, we see a man of God who God is speaking to him to go to somebody's house. Right. And he rejects it.
0: Mm.
1: He says, No. Uh He goes through the clean and unclean argument. Mm -hmm. God shows him a vision. No. God's speaking to that man, that Gentile man, in a whole other place, in Caesarea. And in the midst of that, this man, who was uh, steadfast, a faithful man, but not in the fullness of God yet. He didn't have. God gives him a vision. Mm -hmm. You need to go to this man. You need to tell him to come to your house. Immediately he responds by sending two guys to get him. While this man of God, man of God, is arguing with God about what God's speaking, they show up, and he responds by going. He goes, and we see a little bit about this man that he goes to, about where he was in his faith, because he bows to this man. He still has the mindset of Mm. man, man, Caesar mindset. Right. And, of course, Peter's like, no. He goes in the house. He begins to preach. He doesn't even get finished preaching Mm -hmm. at all. Again, that could rub some people the wrong way. (laughs) But he doesn't get finished preaching. Right. The Holy Spirit falls. Everybody in the house is filled with the Holy Spirit. They're all changed or baptized, all of that. And out of that comes a revival to the Gentiles. Right. And because of that, now all of us have entered in through that moment Mm. in history as Gentiles. Right. All the way back to the father of the faith. And so, for me, it is, again, you just never know. Peter was genuinely seeking God and going after God and doing the things of God. Right. But didn't want to do what God told him to do because it went against what he thought. Another guy knew that there was more about God. It never says that he actually wanted it, though. He knew there was more about God, and he responded. And because of that, the man walks into his house, not into his temple, his synagogue, or anything else, into his house and revival came to that house. So I think my takeaway is any moment, anytime, and God finds hunger and thirst for righteousness,
0: He can move. So good. Well, guys, hope you guys have been encouraged. I know I've been encouraged by it. I want to know from you how's, what has God done in your life through these conversations about revival? And how can we pray with you? How can we help you have revival in your personal life, whatever's happening? Let us know. Reach out to us, mediahub at teachbeachreport.com or check out our website, thbstreeport.com. Until next time, have a great week.